Jesus do? What did Jesus do in his life, in his personal life? And we're, we're wrapping up the, the personal life of Jesus, some things that he did on his own for himself uh, in his ministry to stay strong, to stay effective. Uh, and now we're going to be, after today, we're going to be moving on to some of the things he did in ministry, the way he reached out to people. Um, you know, I... I find myself saying and thinking about a lot of things that we do as Christians today that used to be done years ago. And I say things that we, that we have kind of forgotten about have become the lost art of, of Christianity, of, of living faith. And I find more and more of those things, those actions that we used to just find as commonplace and second nature as Christians and as churches are falling away and being replaced by, I don't know, by bitterness, by anger, by political activism, by um, attitudes that really don't show what a true Christian is all about, what being a believer in this world is all about. Listen, I get it. I get it. It's tough. It's difficult to live as a Christian in this day and age. It's difficult to stand for the truth. I think we've become, we, we've come to a place where we equate standing for truth with taking a political stand or standing against those who are against what we stand for. We're going to talk about that a little bit this morning. And I think what, what this series has been about, as I've, as I've prayed about it, as I've studied, as I've prepared, what I've really been spoken to on my own and in, in my own life about is that this sermon series is more about a, a reset. In our family, if we have a rough morning, uh, if we get up and, and somebody's kind of grouchy, um, somebody, when I say somebody with air quotes, that's usually dad, um, or if the, you know, the boys are, are being twin eight-year-old boys, or if it's just a, a tough morning, um, we'll come together and we'll, put all, we'll all put our hands in and we'll, we'll say, we're gonna do a reset. We're gonna press the reset button. That means we start all over again. The past is behind us, and we start the day all over again. And everybody gets to start all over. We don't bring up the things that were going on earlier, and we just start all over again. And I think we've come to that place in many areas as churches and as Christians where we do need a reset. We need to hit the reset button and say, you know what? <laughs> this is not right. The way we've... The way we've begun to minister and the attitude we've taken and the reasons why we do some of the things we do are not right. And we need to stop and hit the reset button and start all over again. And that's why we've spent so much time on prayer. Because I believe that as individuals and as churches, we haven't prayed as much as we need to. And I, I say that not as, not as a... Um, a thought of my own. I say that because I talk to a lot of people and a lot of pastors and a lot of people from other churches, not just our own. And that is something that has kind of gone by the wayside. We've stopped praying. We think that we need to take action before we pray. And that's getting things backwards. Second Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14 says this, and my people who bear my name humble themselves, pray and seek my face, 
and turn from their evil ways. Then I will hear from heaven, forgive their sin, and heal their land. Healing, now, now remember last week I told you this was, a, this was a, 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 a promise given to the nation of Israel as a nation. Um, we misapply that as Americans by saying that if we, will, if we will humble ourselves and pray as Americans, God will heal America. Um, that's not how that promise is to be appropriated, how it's to be applied. We apply that in our own lives. We apply that in our families. We apply that in our churches. If we as Christians, if we as followers of Christ will humble ourselves and go to God in prayer and confess our sins, confess our wrongdoing, get ourselves right with God, then God will provide healing to our hearts. God will provide healing to our spirits. God will provide healing to our families, our homes, our marriages, our children. God will provide, will, will, will give healing to our churches. And God will open up the door for us to have a greater witness and a greater influence in our community. Listen, the things that we do as a church are awesome. I love what we do. I love that we, we, uh, we help out. Even in a town like East Long Meadow, which most people think is, is an affluent town, uh, people don't need anything here, we have lots of families in need in this town. Springfield, a city of need. Talk to Melvin Edwards who, who, could, who could point here. I, I'm sure if you wanted to get in, become active in your city, if you live in Springfield, if there was, you wanted to find an area of need, Melvin could point out one or two maybe, Melvin? One or two hundred, perhaps? Okay. Um, so I think us as a, as a church community reaching out and helping out and doing things like that, that's wonderful. But if we don't have prayer behind it, we don't, just, we don't just want to give kids pencils and erasers and paper so that they can do their schoolwork. Let me tell you why we do these things. So that we can have an impact in our community. And when we collect these things, as we take them, I've had the privilege the last, uh, we've done it for four or five years now, I've had the privilege every year to deliver these to the schools. And I've had the privilege of talking with the principals. And one of the schools my, my two youngest sons went to for three years. And now I'm going to be able to take it to their new school and their new principal. And let them know that we as a church are here to be an influence in our community. Not to, not to help kids. I mean, if we, if we need to help kids learn math or something like that, it's great. But we want to be here as an influence for God showing the power of God, showing the love of Jesus Christ and building a bridge because there, there will come a day when we have the opportunity to share our faith with these people. And uh, when that day comes, it must be motivated and it must be empowered by prayer. You see, when we take this stuff, it's not just simply bringing pencils and paper. It's bringing Jesus Christ to them because we pray over that. I spend time praying over those. The people that help put them together, we spend time praying over those, those supplies. That those kids will have the opportunity to hear about Jesus in some way, shape, or form. That those teachers will realize that, you know what, churches haven't gone out of style. And even in an area where there is not much godly Christian influence in society anymore, there are people who stand for what's right and stand for the word of God. All that is not motivated by our good works. All that is not empowered by our good works. It's empowered by prayer. Make no mistake. 
It's empowered by prayer. Jesus was our example. Jesus prayed. Jesus connected in prayer constantly. We've, we've talked about that quite a bit. And we've, we've gotten down to the point of this message where we've broken it all down and said, what did Jesus pray for? What are the things that, or what should we pray for? Now that we know prayer is important, now that we know prayer is vital in our lives, it is our connection to God. It is our communication and our connection to our source. But what should we pray for? I find that is the, that is the number one uh, stumbling block or number one wall that people reach uh, when it comes to prayer. I don't know what to pray for. What do I pray for? So we've I've given you some, some scriptural ideas here. The first one we talked about, if you remember, was a gracious and a thankful heart. We should pray for a gracious and thankful heart. Understanding that everything we have in this life comes from God. Everything is a blessing from him. The second thing we said, <clears throat> I think I might need that, Jonathan, thank you, um, was wisdom and direction in life's decisions. We should not be making major life decisions or even some life decisions, I believe, thank you, um, without wisdom and direction from God. So we should be praying for wisdom and direction for our life's decisions. Major things. Listen, if you want to serve God, if you want to have an impact for him in your life, in your community, if you want your life to shine for him, if you want your family to be strong and powerful, if you want to be a father that leads a family in a godly way, if you want to be a mother that, 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 uh, that raises her children in a godly way, if you want to be a husband or a wife that does your part to make your marriage successful, if you want to be a single individual that is not defined by who you need, but is defined by who you follow, Jesus Christ, then you need to pray for wisdom and direction in life's decisions. We said we need to pray for personal forgiveness. And we talked a lot last week about the prayer that we need to pray, uh, about how we need to pray for inner peace. We search for inner peace in so many different ways in this world. A Christian, you have, you have access to inner peace. And we shared a lot of verses. By the way, these messages are all on our, uh, our Facebook page, and they're also on a live stream. Uh, we have a live stream. So you can download the live stream and listen to it throughout the week if there's something you want to hear. Then the last one we talked about last week was this. We need to pray for a submissive will. The freely made choice on our part to follow the teaching of the Bible and the leadership of the Holy Spirit to do what is right and to serve God's plan for our life, including being an active part of a local church. We spent a lot of time talking about that. That brings us to the last three. And I think these last three, they're all very important, but these last three become very personal for us. And I think a very, uh, hold the key to a very powerful overcoming life. They are areas of life that we struggle with. And quite honestly, if we're going to be defeated as followers of Jesus Christ, these next three things that we need to pray for will be what trip us up and will keep us down and will keep us away. They'll bring shame. They'll bring anger. They'll bring frustration if we don't pray about them. I shouldn't say they will. They do. <laughs> if we don't pray and find God's leadership and power to, uh, about these matters that we're going to talk about, then we are going to struggle in our walk. The first one 
is this. We need to pray for the power to overcome temptation. We need to pray for the power to overcome temptation. We need to say right off the bat and remind you this, being tempted is not a sin, right? Being tempted is not a sin. We all are going to be tempted. Everybody's going to be tempted. No doubt about it. Giving into that temptation and falling into sin is the problem. And not fighting back and not standing up and being strong is the problem. And we all know what happens when we give into temptation. We, not only do we sin, but then we have to deal with the guilt. Then we have to deal with the self-loathing. Then we have to deal with the difficulties. And if you don't go back to what we said and, and pray and ask for forgiveness, falling into sin and, and, and giving into temptation causes us to have many more difficulties in our lives. And it begins to drive a wedge between us and God. And it begins to separate us from our Savior. And now everything starts to bother us. Everything starts to be a problem. And everything starts to become an issue. And we walk farther and farther away from God. And eventually we walk farther and farther away from brothers and sisters in Christ. And eventually we walk farther and farther away so that we no longer go to church. And then we are just a person who used to go to church. We fall into the category of an unchurched individual not having any influence on this world at all for Jesus Christ. The power to overcome temptation. Your choices and decisions about the temptations in your life dictate the path that your life takes and your success as a follower of Jesus. Let me say that again. Your choices and decisions about the temptations in your life dictate the path your life takes and your success as a follower of Jesus. I've had so many people that I've talked with through the years Sit down and tell me, I never thought I'd be here. Maybe you've said that. I never thought, I, I never thought it would come to this. I never thought this would be the sum total of my life. I never thought this would be the end result of what I was doing. But here I am. And now what do I do? Listen, if that's where you are in life, if you are at a point where you just can't believe that this has become your life, let me share some hope with you. Jesus Christ can, will, and wants to forgive whatever it is you've done. There is no distance too far for his grace to cover. There is no distance too far for his love to reach. You cannot get away from the love of God. But you must come to him in a humble spirit and confess that sin. He will restore you. So if you're at a point right now and you feel like God can't use me, God doesn't want to use me, God doesn't even want to think about me because of what I've done, I'm here to tell you you're wrong. He loves you. His grace is enough. His grace will reach far enough. And he will restore you and he will use you again. But there are others who are struggling with those temptations. And you give in to them. So much so that I find many people just don't bother to pray anymore. What's the use? I can't fight this anymore. I've just, I, I, I just, I can't do it. Listen, when you get to that point, here's what you have to do. You have to pray. <laughs> you have to pray. You have to pray. You have to go to God and say, God, I can't carry this burden. I can't handle this. I can't do this. Sometimes overcoming temptation 
through prayer, God will reveal to you that something that we don't like to do, we have to change people, places, and things, right? Sometimes overcoming temptation means avoiding certain individuals in your life. Because those individuals, let's be honest, those individuals are bad for you. Even people in church sometimes, sometimes you can't get next to somebody without running somebody else down. The temptation to talk about others is just too great. How do you realize these things? How do you get wisdom? How do you get understanding? How do you gain power to overcome the temptations that constantly come in your life? You pray. You pray. Luke 22, verses 39 through 40. Even on the last full night of his life, before his death, burial, and resurrection, Jesus was still teaching. He was still using this, this time as a teaching moment with his followers. He said he went out and made his way to, uh, as usual, the Mount of Olives, and the disciples followed him. When he reached the place, he told them, pray that you fall, may not fall into temptation. He told the disciples, pray so that you don't fall into temptation. Our, some of our modern language today as Christians would say that they prayed a cover, he, he said, pray a covering over your life. Remember in the, in the Harry Potter movie, the last one, right? Got your, everybody, how many people seen the, the Harry Potter movies? I love Harry Potter movies, by the way. The last one where Voldemort is attacking Hogwarts Academy. Can you picture it? The, the good teachers and the, the good sorcerers get out there and they put their wands up in the air and what do they do? They shoot out whatever that stuff is and it puts a covering over Hogwarts, right? Covering of protection. I think there's a great picture of prayer and what it does for us as Christians. When you pray, you ask God to place a covering over you. Be, make you the bubble boy spiritually, the bubble girl spiritually. God, place a place a, a covering over me, place a hedge of protection around me so that I won't give in to this temptation, so that I won't fall into this sin. Because God, I know that if I do, it's just a downward spiral for me. And when that happens, I get into a very bad place. So God, please, Please place a covering over me and give me strength to overcome, to say no, to do whatever it is I need to do, not to fall into temptation. You know, it is possible to overcome temptations in your life. It's not a given that you're going to fall into it. It's not a given that you're going to give in to sin. It is possible to overcome temptations. Many of us struggle with many things. Each one of us probably has a secret struggle or a personal struggle that is, as the Bible would call it in the old King James, a besetting sin, a sin that weighs on us, Satan's go-to. If you're having a strong day spiritually, if you're walking strong and you're being effective, man, he's going to bring this to you. You know what I'm saying? He's going to bring this right at you because he wants to tear you down. He wants to cause, uh, he wants to cause you to struggle. He wants to cause you to fall. 
but it is possible to overcome temptations in your life. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. So whoever thinks he stands must be careful not to fall. No temptation has come upon you except what is common to humanity. But God is faithful. He will not allow you to be tempted beyond that you are able. But with the temptation, he will also provide a way out so that you may be able to bear it. God will always provide a way of escape. He will always provide a way out. He will always provide a way to overcome that temptation and falling into sin. You just have to pray for it. Then you have to look for it. And then you have to act on it. See, sometimes God's prayer, the prayer to God reveals the path to walk, but you don't want to walk that way. You don't want to take that different route home from work. You don't want to avoid that house that you shouldn't be going to. You don't want to avoid that person, that gentleman, that young lady that has been showing you a little more attention than she should. Right? Sometimes keeping business relationships on a business level is exactly what we need to do, Christian men. Let me tell you something, gentlemen. If you have a woman at work that is your work wife, you need to change your lingo. Wife is a title that should be reserved for one woman in your life, not somebody else. If you're not man enough to be able to do your job and get your coffee, make your lunch, heat your whatever up without a work wife, they need to, Pastor John's words, you need to check your manhood. Serious heart attack. If you value your marriage, if you value your relationship, how do you think your wife feels, seriously, truly, when you say, oh, she's my work wife? Because I'll tell you how I feel, Charlie. If I hear, if I hear I, when Aaron used to work at United Healthcare, somebody, uh, when I'd go in there, I, I just can't keep my mouth shut half the time. I would say, somebody would say there, they, they'd be in the break room, I'd go to have lunch with Aaron, and I, I told them, I'll tell you what, gentlemen, don't ever use that terminology about my wife. Don't ever even think that my wife is your work wife. Because I value my marriage too much to give in to your little humor. I don't think it's funny at all. I think it's dangerous. I think it's incredibly dangerous. And if we value the things in our lives that matter, and that goes both ways, by the way, ladies. If you allow a man to call you your, his work wife or you have a work husband, you might want to change that terminology if you value your marriage. I'm just, I'm just saying. You're playing with fire in situations like that. You're playing with fire. And if we don't value marriages as, marriage as Christians, we can say all we want about marriage equality and this and that and the other thing, and we can rail on it. What are you doing to uphold the value that God places on marriage in your own life or in your own church? Boy, it got a lot more personal, didn't it? Got a lot deeper when we started breaking it down to everyday life. See, those are the temptations that will take you away from God. 
Those are the temptations that will distract you from your service to him. And those are the temptations that will begin to take you away from ministry and serving and be fa being faithful to your church. And those are the temptations that will destroy your life and your family. Pray. Ask God to give you the strength to overcome them. He will provide a way of escape. He promises. He will help you and show you the way to overcome. Remember this, failure is not a given in life. You can win these battles, but only with the power and favor of God in the areas that constantly tear you down. Dealing with some struggles in my own life right now, trying to get some answers. And one of the things that, one of the verses that God has brought to me is, it's kind of funny, um, but not so. If your right hand offends you, cut it off. And what that means is if, if there is something in your life that you cannot have victory over, that you're struggling with, then do something about it. Stop being so stubborn and saying, well, I'll get it right this time. You know what? God's way of escape is getting rid of it from your life completely, taking it away, getting it out of your life, period, so that you don't have to struggle anymore. That's the way of escape. And sometimes, folks, taking people, places, and things out of your life is the answer. It's absolutely the answer. What else should we pray for after praying to overcome temptation, I believe this, we need to pray for each other. We need to pray for each other. I believe at no greater time than this in our society and history do we need to pray for each other like we do now. There are things happening. There are uh, difficult times going on. There are attacks on, on believers I'm not talking physical attacks, spiritual warfare going on that we need to pray for, pray about, pray coverings over each other. Why do we need to pray for each other? First of all, I believe we need to pray for each other because we all need to grow in our faith. We're at a very pivotal time in our church right now because we have a lot of people um, that are coming in and getting acclimated. We have a lot of newer believers, a lot of people at a, a new time in their faith. We have a lot of young families that are learning how to be. Listen, you can, you can have been a follower of Christ as a single person, but now you've got a spouse and, and maybe children. And we have a lot of, a lot of uh, families that are with child right now, right? Uh, we ha how, many, how many are getting close to having new additions. I know I've got a granddaughter that I get to meet in about two months. Can't wait. Can't wait. I haven't had the chance to threaten any young men to leave my... Just kidding. Just kidding. We have one family that's about to have two new additions. We just had one born a month ago, and uh, Jimmy and Jess aren't here today. They're getting ready to have one. Anybody else? Think... But Christine just had, right, Charlie, yeah, 
had like, Debbie had like your 300th grandchild just <laughs> a while ago, right? Listen, those of you who have been down that road, you know that's not easy when, when life starts to add things on. I've been praying for my son already because I know what it's like to have one kid and then two and then three and then five. <laughs> I, I, I know what that's like to add on. And not just, not just the stress and, and difficulty of being of, of home and raising a child, but adding in church, adding in walking in faith. And, add, and, and if you, th- you know, when you were single, you had all that time to do whatever. And then you, when you were dating, it was real fun, you know, and then you get married. And now you've got kids who take up most of your day. We need to pray for our young families. We need to pray for our young, young married couples. We have a young couple here that we've invested a lot in. And they've invested a lot in us. We're going to miss this couple, not just because they're not going to be here anymore. Uh, Robert and Emma are like, like kids to me. They're like my children. But we're going to miss them in ministry here too. Robert and Emma put a lot of time in on Wednesday nights with, with my sons and with others. Emma, amazing job in our, our, uh, our Easter egg hunt, Robert and Emma. Um, and, and Robert, bless his heart, <laughs> putting up with what Emma was, was doing. And it was craziness. They've taught in our children's ministry. They've invested in this church. Now they're going on a, an adventure, meeting hobbits <laughs> in New Zealand, right? I looked it up last night. I didn't know New Zealand was two islands. I had no idea. But we need to pray for them. They're going away, and they're going out as missionaries of new life. And hopefully what they've learned and put into practice here and what has been invested in them and what they've invested in, in others will help them. They're moving halfway around the world. Family, friends in New Zealand, know anybody? No, no. I'll give you, I'll give you Bilbo's number. Right? <laughs> Everybody here is going through circles. We have families uh, looking for... Looking to, to move, families looking to do this, doing that. Are we praying for each other to face life, to deal with life, to handle life? We all need to grow in our faith. First Colossians 1 9 through 10. For this reason also, since the day we heard this, we haven't stopped praying for you. We are asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all wisdom and spiritual understanding, so that you may walk worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him bearing fruit in every good work and growing in the knowledge of God. How about this? How about rather than competing with each other in church, we pray for each other so that we can be the most fruitful and productive possible in the church. This place is not a place of competition, folks. It's not to see who can be the the biggest name and the biggest star. That's not what this church, that's not what church was supposed to be about in the first place. And that's not what this church is about. It's about growing in our faith so that we can reach out and tell people. If you haven't noticed, there's a whole lot of people outside these walls that don't know Jesus. The way we build this church is not by um, 
not by merging with others. It's not by doing things. It's by reaching out to the lost, telling them about Jesus, bringing them into the church, growing them into their faith so that they can go out and tell others about Jesus. All the while, while we continue to dig in and to grow in our faith and learn about our faith and learn about the word and grow closer to Jesus Christ, because the closer you grow to him, the more you fall in love with his purpose, the more you come to understand what he has done for you and for me and for everybody else. And you begin to understand that he truly means that it's not, it's not his will that everyone, that anyone would die and go to hell. His desire is that all would come to know him. We need to pray for each other because we need to grow in our faith. We need to pray for each other because we all need covering prayer when we walk through open doors. When you walk through those doors at work. When you walk through those doors, when you walk, to New, when you walk through New Zealand and you meet people, when you walk wherever you go, when you go outside and, and you travel in, for work and you meet new people, whatever it is, we all need a covering prayer of strength and power and grace so that we are just merely extensions of what God is trying to do through us. We are just, we're, we're all connected as a church we pray for each other. We pray that God will bless each other's day, God that, will, God, that God will open our mouths so that we may speak love and compassion and life to other people. Because we're all going to meet people who need to have an encounter with Jesus Christ. We need to pray for each other that way. Ephesians 6, 18 and 19, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given me so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel. Because we all have battles and struggles that we don't talk about but still need prayer for. What you may, one of the hardest things I think as human beings is to understand what someone else is going through that you don't struggle with. Does that make sense? Understand what, try, try to be compassionate for someone going through something that you, even, even someone who has a, a personal battle with something in their life that is not a battle for you. That is just not an issue. You do not have an issue with it in your life. And it's very difficult, I think, for human beings to, to show compassion on others and to, to, to understand how desperate it is for other people who are going through things that you know nothing about. Even though you don't understand what they're going through and you can't really grasp what it is they're struggling with, they still need your prayer. Just because it's not your struggle doesn't mean it doesn't need your prayer. We need to pray for each other because of what we go through. For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will no, in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now as always Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I pray for brothers and sisters around the world that 
are being thrown in. Do you, I mentioned this last week. Do you know that there are people, <laughs> there are Christians every day in this world that are persecuted because of the faith that we claim? There are those who take a stand in Muslim countries for Jesus Christ and are persecuted, thrown in jail, homes burnt, killed, parents being forced to watch their children uh, killed, children being forced to watch their fathers be beheaded just because they're Christians. I can't fathom that. I can't fathom not being able to carry my Bible and my computer to Panera Bread and sitting down in the open public, use public Wi-Fi and study for my sermon without being afraid of the police coming in and grabbing me and throwing me in jail or an angry mob coming and dragging me away and burning me or stoning me. I can't imagine that. Yet in this world, there are people that have that, say, that have that struggle that I know nothing about, that need my prayer. In this church, there are people that struggle with things that you know nothing about, and they need our prayer. Lastly, the thing we should pray about, and we're short on time, so we probably won't spend all the time on this that we need to, but I hope you'll get the idea. We need to pray for our enemies. Wow. We need to pray for our enemies. It's just one of those times in my life where um, God is allowing Satan to use other people and Christians to beat me, to, to try to beat me down. It's, man, it's, it's tough. It's tough. You, you don't expect... Um, you expect it from the outside. You expect the fire from the outside. But it's the friendly fire that you don't always expect. And you don't expect it as in my position as a pastor. I don't expect it from other pastors. But there you go. Part of the struggle that we have is not to see people like that as our enemies. Some of you have had issues in churches in the past. Issues so deep and so drastic that you've had to break fellowship. I get that. I understand that completely. The struggle as Christians is to break amicably and to continue to pray so that those people, so that we don't see them as enemies. It's important. There are people who believe completely, there are people um, that believe completely differently in the same faith as we are than we do. There are people that believe because the men in our church right now aren't wearing ties and jackets and the women aren't wearing pants or aren't wearing dresses um, that we are not right with God. That we are a liberal, sinful church and uh, that's okay. Our, our challenge is not to divide over issues like that. They are not our enemy. Yet it becomes very difficult not to see people that way. Some of the greatest wars you will ever fight are with yourself. The war of forgiveness, the war of acceptance, the war of betrayal, and the war of moving on. Yet that is exactly what we need to do. Some of you continue to, to, to dig up old skeletons. You hang on to them because they give you comfort. 
You hang on to them so that you can, you can always be reminded of why you don't like that person. When what you really truly need to do is pray for your enemies and ask God's forgiveness for the thoughts in your heart. Ask God's blessing on them. Yeah, his blessing on them. Because the Bible says that God provides rain for the just and the unjust, the wicked and the righteous. Why? Because God's not willing that any should perish. See, when we divide ourselves among believers or among others and we see people as our enemy rather than as a brother or sister in Christ or rather as someone who is in need of Christ, now we've placed a block between us and them and the love of Christ and we don't see their great need. We see that we want to win an argument rather than share our faith. Division is a tool of Satan. It's not part of God's plan. Division is a tool of Satan. It is not part of God's plan. Even in churches, listen, I get it, man. I get it. There are, there are places where it's just not, it's, it's not a good fit. And it's something I, I, I try to get uh, others to understand. Even when I talk to pastors, it's okay. Just because people can't, just because they don't fit in your church, don't take it personally. Okay, stop taking it personally. It's just not a good fit. I've had people come here and visit, and they're just, I try to be very honest with, with them, and, and they very honest back with me, and it's just not a good fit. Okay, well, well what are you looking for? Because I know a lot of churches, and I can help you find some, something that, that might help fit your needs. It's fine, I get it. I understand completely. For a long time, we were not a candidate church for, fam, for, for, children with, or for families with children because we didn't have a children's ministry. Now, we do. So if families were looking for a place and they just didn't feel like new life was their place, I wasn't going to say, you know, stick it out. Stick it out. One of these years, we'll have something. Well, listen, I can... I, I get it. I get it. We can connect you with the church that will help you out. Rather than making, rather than dividing and making enemies of others or allowing others to, to make enemies of us, maybe we should try to be understanding. How do we get there? We pray. We pray for our enemies. When, we, when you pray for your enemy, you're praying for another human being maybe even a follower of Jesus. You see, truly, we only have one enemy. Our enemy is not a human. Our enemy is Satan. We truly don't have any enemies, especially as followers of Jesus. People can make themselves enemies of the cross, but we as followers of Christ should not have enemies. There should not be a line, now listen, understand and, and hear how I'm saying this. There should not be a line that we will not cross to reach somebody. As long as we're not going into sin, understand what I'm saying. But there is no one, if there, if there truly is no one that is out of the reach of the grace of God, then there truly should not be anyone to whom we will not talk or express or show the love of God. As Christians in today's society, we're making a lot of enemies. 
do you know, and I'm, I'm not telling you anything, I don't know, but maybe because we're from Massachusetts, we need to be told again. But did you know that we as evangelical Christians are all radical right-wing Republicans? I'm just telling you what is true, right, Cliff? Hey, Cliffy, yeah. that's not true of Cliff. I know that for sure. Melvin, I'm, yeah. Most of you, our church is, our church is half and half. <laughs> but that's how people view us. It shocks men at the gym when I have conversations and they find out that I'm not what they think I am. That is on them if they're going to view me that way. But it's my responsibility to show the love of Jesus Christ in such a way that I love, I love confusing them. <laughs> wait a minute. Wait a, wait a minute. What's he saying? Why? Because Jesus is more important than my politics. Jesus is more important than my tax base. Jesus is more important than my bank account. Jesus is all they need. They don't need my opinion. If everybody needed my opinion, you'd all be wearing Dodger blue. <laughs> Just telling you. Just oh, They need the love of Christ expressed through my life. I'm not saying that they're not going to view you as an enemy. What I'm saying is you should not view them as an enemy. Amen. You should view them as one for whom Jesus Christ died. Is that hard? Oh, Lord, is that difficult? Oh, my goodness. I was called out on Facebook just because of my opinion by an individual who said, I am the reason that certain kinds of young college young, young teenagers commit suicide. Me. Not people like me, me, personally, put out there and then shared by many people. I'm telling you, it's tough not to have anger towards people. I pray about that. Is it tough? Whew. I don't want to. I'm like that kid that gets dragged kicking and screaming to a shower on Saturday night. I don't want to pray for him. But I need to pray for him. Because if I want this heart to stay, to stay soft to the leadership of God, I better pray for those who abuse me and talk about me and hate me and don't think I should be where I am, don't think I'm qualified, don't think I should be a human being. I should pray. I need to pray for those people. If nothing more than to keep my heart soft towards the leadership of the Holy Spirit. Luke 6, verses 27 and 28 say, But I say to you, listen, love your enemies. Do what is good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who mistreat you. Whew. It's one of the hardest passages of the Bible, not just to read, but to practice. Jesus, do you know what you're saying? Yes, 
he does because on the cross with nails through his hands and his feet, with a spear, with, with, with whips having torn open his back, with a crown of thorns dug into his skull, in enormous, immense pain, trying to push up so that he could breathe because crucifixion was not a death by, uh, by brutality, it was a death by asphyxiation. While trying to breathe, Jesus spent some of that precious last breath of his praying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. And if my Savior, who gave me eternal life, can pray for those who were killing him at that moment, then I need to do my dead level best to find it in my heart to seek him out, to get some compassion and wisdom from him so that I can pray for those who don't really think that I'm where sunshine emanates from, I guess. I don't know. Listen, folks, we need to pray even for those who hate us. Some of you, that's very personal, isn't it? It's in your family. It's family that really can't stand you. And it's family that you really... Some of you, division has come in your family because of your faith. Division has come in your family because of who you are married to. Right? Well, it's tough to pray for those people. Especially when you know them as well as you know them. Yet that's exactly what Jesus says to do. Pray for them. They need you. They need your prayer. Quite honestly, we pray, we, we pray for, if we're praying for our enemies, we're praying for people who don't pray for themselves many times, right? We need to pray for our enemies. Matthew 5, 44, you have heard that it was said, love your, en- love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I tell you, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you so that you may be children of your father in heaven. For he causes his son to rise on the evil and good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. All he's telling us to do is act like Jesus. What did Jesus do? Jesus prayed for his enemies. What does God do every day that the earth spins? He provides oxygen for those who want to curse him. God shows his love and his grace to every human being. And I'm here to tell you that as Christians, as followers of Jesus, it would be out of character for us to not do the same. I'm not saying it's easy. One of the most difficult things you'll do. Some of you, when was the last time you prayed for your ex? <laughs> oh, no, 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 no. You have no idea what they did to me. Now you're stepping. Now you're crossing. Now you're, now you're meddling. You're not preaching anymore. Now you're getting into my life where you're not supposed to be. Oh, that's exactly where it needs to be, my friend. Some of the greatest anger I've ever heard from people is towards ex-spouses because of what they did. When's the last time you prayed for them? When's the last time that you've gone to God? I've been there, man. I've been there. And I've cried. I'll admit it. 
I've cried when I felt the Holy Spirit telling me, why don't you pray for blessing on that person? <laughs> I'm going to throw you out there for a second, Zach, if you don't mind. Zach's very first wedding. Uh -huh. It's a tough one. His very first wedding that he did was his mother, my ex-wife. He called me and he said, hey, Dad, Mom and Dennis asked me if I'd do their sermon, if, if I'd do their wedding. What do you think? <laughs> I don't care. I'm married. I've moved on. That's fine. It's good practice. Then he said this. <laughs> Would you help me put the service together, Dad? Hey, Dad, I've never done one of these. Would you help me put the service together for your ex-wife? I said, sure. I will. Ask him. Now, to Zach's everlasting credit, he wrote back, he said, Dad, I'm sorry. <laughs> I really wasn't thinking. But I knew, listen, I'm, I'm, I'm being transparent. I might as well go all the way. That was not anything I wanted to do. It wasn't because I cared so much about it. It wasn't even because I wanted to see the day come. Like I said, I was married. It's fine. But all that does, for those of you who have been through that, all that does is drudge up all that pain and that hurt. But I knew this. If I was going to be a successful husband... Aaron May Chase I needed to be able to get beyond the pain of what I went through in the first place and I could not look at those two individuals as enemies I had to see them as people for whom on that day needed God's blessing through my son That's what's tough. Those are the difficult days. I'm here to tell you that God can get you through those difficult days and those difficult times. I'm here to tell you that God can help you love your enemies. God can help you and give you the strength and the grace to get through those difficult times. But he will not do it if you do not ask for it. What do you need to pray for? You need to pray for your enemies. Because you need to be able to see people with the love of Jesus Christ just the way he sees them. What do you pray for in your life? How is your prayer life? Jesus was amazingly effective. We know that. That's kind of not even news, is it? How effective do you want to be?
How effective do you want to be as a follower of Christ? How far do you want your reach as a follower of Christ to go? It starts with prayer. Jesus connected in prayer constantly. How about you? Would you bow your heads with me in prayer? Father, we want to thank you so much for the day that you've given to us. Beautiful summer day. Thank you for those who came out today to worship, fellowship, hear your word. Lord, we covered some, some deep ground here today. Father, I thank you for your grace and your wisdom and your love. Lord, one of the greatest struggles we have is forgiving others and then praying for them and expressing your love for other people, even those who have abused us, even those who have mistreated us, the way you express it. But God, that's exactly where we need to be in our lives. Some of us here, Lord, are going through great struggles. And if we were to be honest, the reason we're not getting past the issues that we're facing is because we're not praying about it. God, would you give us the courage to pray? Would you give us the strength to pray? Lord, you've said you'll answer our prayers. You said you'll meet us in prayer. Lord, you've said that if we knock, you will answer. If we seek, we will find. Would you give us that courage? Lord, I pray that as we face our week, that we'll face it with prayer, that we'll not uh, back out of it, that we'll not try to handle things on our own, but we'll go to you in prayer and seek your face, God. God, would you bless us? Bless this church, bless these people. Lord, as we go forward through this week, may we go forward as worshipers. May you go forward as servants, as missionaries, taking your love to a dark place. May we give you all the praise and all the glory. For it's your holy, precious name we pray and ask all these things. Amen.